What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today's podcast was actually recorded in October 2022. Basically, um, we recorded it. I forgot to publish it. Ended up losing the audio file, but thankfully, it streamed live to YouTube, so I was able to download the video and pull the audio from it, and that's what uh, today's episode is. Um, I just wanted to mention it in the event that it seems somewhat out of step or anything with recent themes or events or you know, dialogue style or anything like that. Before we get going, though, I'd like to bring your attention to the two great Bitcoin companies that support this show. If you already know all about how River and CoinKite can help you to acquire, manage, and secure your Bitcoin, skip ahead 60 seconds. If not, keep listening. CoinKite makes some of the most badass Bitcoin hardware there is. Their flagship product is the Cold Card Hardware Wallet, a feature-rich tool for taking self-custody of your Bitcoin, which has been a favorite of hardcore Bitcoiners for many years. CoinKite is also the maker of the wildly popular BlockVox series, which are standalone or wall-mounted devices which track and display things like the current Bitcoin block height, the sats per fiat exchange rate, the Bitcoin price, and many other data points of interest to a Bitcoin enthusiast. It might not sound that exciting, but it's almost bizarrely satisfying to be able to glance over at it and watch as new blocks are added to the chain. The recently released Block Clock Micro, a smaller and more affordable option, is now available at their store. Check it out along with a ton of other stuff for securely using and having some fun with your Bitcoin at CoinKite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning service enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their excellent customer service, stellar team, and for their principled and dedicated approach to building a next generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit river.com today. All right, sweet. Well, Al, we're live. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, good to chat. This is awesome. Um, I've really appreciated your your podcast in the last uh, probably year or so. Kind of caught on, and it's really been great to just hear some of the conversations others are having in the uh, space. Yeah, thanks. I <clears throat> I appreciate those words, and um, I appreciate the time. You know, as we were just saying right before we started, it's just become my favorite thing to do to. Uh, reach out to Bitcoiners out in the wilds everywhere, you know, n not with big followings and, you know, basically unknown, um, but out there just living the Bitcoin life and, and hearing about uh, what they're up to and their perspective and their stories and, you know, how they came to all this and what their thoughts are on it has been super interesting for me. So I, I appreciate you volunteering to be one of those. Um, when you first messaged me, like I, I did the shout out on Twitter and you messaged me. Do you mind if I read what you wrote me just for context for everyone that's listening? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. So <clears throat> you said, uh, you know, I'd love to chat sometime. <clears throat> I'm a war vet, former pastor, homeschooling father of six, Christian anarchist, and hold a number of other views you might be interested to discuss. So, you know, for me, I was just like, well, that's certainly enough interesting uh, descriptors to, to warrant a conversation. So how do you want to get this kicked off today? Yeah, uh, I'm happy to chat about anything you're interested in. I had I had one reason um, that I was interested to chat with you, and that was just on the subject of uh, Bitcoin and God and uh, the um, the connection between uh, religion and uh, central human nature and what role does Bitcoin play in that. But uh, that's clearly going to come up as we chat for any length of time because that's something that uh, I'm pretty pumped about. But yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've enjoyed. My, my life has been set up 
right now to the point where there's a lot of different things that uh, we have just found, my wife, our family, we found ourselves separated out from the culture that we are living around geographically. Mm-hmm. And so there's probably a lot of things that we have come to see as normal, like most Bitcoiners do, that uh, my neighbors are not interested in. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's just uh, neat to be a part of that community. So we, I'm sure we will get into the whole Bitcoin and God question, but you know, how did, how did you get introduced to Bitcoin? Maybe that's a place to start that we'll weave some other parts of the story together, but how did all this come on your radar in the first place? Yeah. Um, I've always been interested in, in money. Uh, but, um, I think early, early on, I, uh, I was, uh, big into internet gaming and then I ended up hearing about Bitcoin early on at the same point where I was trying to get out of gaming because I was, uh, I was just taking over my life. And so and when I heard about it, I thought, oh, this is internet gaming money. So it's not going to help me. It's going to hurt me because I need to get my life actually productive in some area. And mm-hmm. so, um, so I just dismissed it. And then in 2017, a friend at church actually wanted me to check it out. And, uh, and so I started looking into it and I watched, John, I watched it go all the way up to $3,000. And I thought that that is too expensive. Yeah. So, uh, so I bought Ethereum instead. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) trade, trade back and forth on the dips. Uh, uh, Things were going well, obviously this is kind of the second half of 2017. I borrowed money from the bank to invest more. Uh, Things crashed in 2018. Uh, I kind of lost all the profits, but um, because I I wanted to be safe, well, at the time I was living in Canada. um, And uh, so we wanted to use the, the kind of the, the best exchange we could find, which was Quadriga Currency Exchange, QCX. Uh, yep. Of course, so you know the story, right? The, the founder mm-hmm. looks like he faked his death and stole everyone's money. So we lost everything there. Um, so I stepped back to kind of pay off the bank loans and stuff like that. And, uh, and just stayed out, of, stayed out of Bitcoin until COVID hit. And there were, you know, there were a couple of days at the beginning where it looked like the world was going to end. And you have those videos from China where people are falling down in the streets. And mm-hmm. so... Um, so I, I spent some years in the military. Uh, and so because of that, I just, I retain enough of the military mindset to access that when I need to. So I don't live out of that way of thinking, but in that moment I was, okay, what do we need to do to provide, to survive, take care of the kids. And so I started watching a bunch of prepper videos on YouTube, which led to gold and silver videos on YouTube, which led to Bitcoin. And then the penny started to drop and all my experiences came back and I started to research uh, pretty extensively. And uh, this time, though, I wasn't going to be stupid. I wasn't going to leave my money on exchange, but I did need to catch up because I'd already lost like six figures from back in 2018. And so I started building my stack and put it on Celsius because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and uh, Alex oh, Mashinsky. Yeah. So not your keys, not your coins. If you don't win the, or if you don't learn it the first time, you will eventually learn that. So, uh, so again, started over stacking stats now. Um, I've lost a small fortune a few different times in my life. So you just kind of eat the loss and move on. And, uh, and we're doing good. Um, God has blessed us. He's provided for us. And so just happy to kind of be a part of the group moving forward. Well, that's quite a, quite a roller coaster story. You know, I, I think a lot of people got into the space financially driven and not ideologically in, in like 2017 in that run up. And everyone yeah. just, you know, had a Coinbase or a Quadriga account. And and then when the bubble popped, they just kind of left it. And like a small cohort stuck around and 
kept learning and formed, you know, you know, determined what the ideology was and, and, and determined that that was valuable and, and stayed with it. But yeah, you know, like uh, my friend Gigi always says, this is the rectification, you know, like people, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, you know, part of educa being educated is getting educated is being wrecked. I don't know many is getting wrecked. Sorry. I don't know many people that have, have gone through this entire journey without any of that, you know, like myself included in the early days. And it, it's not even that, uh, like in 17, it's not that I didn't know or appreciate the Bitcoin only thesis. Like I, it was, I always knew like Bitcoin is the one and, you know, you, you hold it forever and that's, that's the way you do it. But when, when all this, like with all the euphoria and all the stuff, like the hype that's going on, you just think you can be smart and, and, you know, time the market and do well on, on some of this other garbage. And of course, for 99% of people, that's not the case. And you end up getting wrecked and you learn, you know, not to trade and to hold your own keys and, to, you know, no. to do, to do all the things that you're supposed to, to actually extract the maximum amount of value from this asset, which is your complete sovereignty over it. And all the, you know, the benefits and the freedoms that accrue to you as a result of that. But, you know, uh, yeah, and it's a process. I think, too, it's the. Um, it seems like every generation has a couple main areas in which they learn the value of risk mitigation and and crypto. Bitcoin is is that primary thing for this generation. Um, mm -hmm. I had I had uh, had this interesting situation where I got into real estate right out of university. Um, and, and then a, a, a year or two later, I got a friend of mine into real estate and I was just kind of, you know, hundred percent all in doing all these deals and stuff. And my friend was just slow and steady. And now my friend has like, uh, what is it? Uh, six, eight, 10, no, no, eight or nine figures to their name. And I ended up losing half of my income <laughs> because I was just doing these crazy deals that were, were I just hadn't learned yet the, the risk thing. And so I think I'm someone who learns hard, but I, it's, I think Bitcoin and even all the shit coins, they provide a valuable service to humanity. Um, this, this idea of just don't touch the stove, be careful yeah. in how you handle your money and how you, how you live your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and it's so tough, you know, we were, we were speaking about this yesterday on the, we did a book club discussion on when money dies, you know, which was a book about uh, the hyperinflation and Weimar Germany. And I, you know, we were discussing the parallels that exist in, in society and in markets and in the world today. And one of them, of course, is as, you know, the unsustainable system unwinds, more and more people are placed in a more severe state of deprivation, right? Because it's, you know, the income gap is widening and people have less real income and life becomes more expensive. And as a result of that greater intensity of deprivation, it's natural to be even more motivated to seek a way out of it. And so many people seek a way out of it by gambling, whether in casinos or in, you know, quote unquote, investing, and basically, you know, they get drawn into these, you know, get rich quick ideas and schemes because they want to get out of their situation as fast as possible. So it's so appealing to them. And it's not sexy at all for, you know, our group, you know, our side of things to say, don't change anything, basically, you know, just keep mm -hmm. working and, and minimize your expenses and whatever you have left over, 
siphon into Bitcoin. Use it as a savings account. You're not going to have the Lambos next year, but this is the way you slowly claw yourself out of a bad situation. And every year you, you get to experience an incremental increase in your situation and the options that are before you. And nobody's, nobody's saying that message. You know, everyone's like hundred X year this, and you know, <laughs> be part of this trading group and you can get that. And everyone just gets more wrecked and in a worse situation. And then of course, society has all the, you know, feels all the ill effects of that. Um, yeah. And it's a, uh, it's a shame, but you know, what, what can you do other than preach that message and, and try to be a, an exemplar of it as well? Yeah. And I think too, um, uh, you know, as many people have said before, you just, you got to learn it the hard way. Uh, this is yeah. one of the reasons I, I, I'm, I very much dislike government is, is um, I think that they, they inevitably turn themselves into a very poor nanny uh, of society. And so you Absolutely. have, you know, everything from riding your bike with a helmet, which is smart um, to uh, let's, let's not make any wild swings in the stock market because that will be good for humanity. Let's try to control everything. And I think one of the one of the um, outcomes of that is humans do not learn to um, categorize risk correctly. Mm -hmm. And so, right, and uh, I, I'm I'm a kind of a conservative at heart. Uh, I don't know about politically, but certainly religiously. And it just seems like um, this this culture of championing risk and saying this is how you do it. You know, look at this person who won the lottery. You know, there's never a uh, a news. Uh, a news article about this guy who worked hard and <laughs> raised his family and retired well because he had a good business with you know sound ideas no it's it's championing risk um championing the thrill the endorphin rush and uh i, I think it's one of the ways in which government is, is just slowly killing humanity i couldn't agree more i mean government you know ostensibly had was supposed to be kind of the arbitrator on the monopoly of force to you know to enforce property rights and now it's become basically the solution to everything every time a problem arises in you know in most societies today there's an appeal to the government to step in and to spend or to resolve it in, in some capacity and and as you say that you wind up in a place where <clears throat> governments are part of every aspect of your life and and solution quote unquote solutions are imposed upon you when you may not want them and things are taken out of your control, when you may want to be in control of them, when you may want to have responsibility for them. And when this happens en masse, of course, you get a, a culture of people that have abdicated so much of their responsibilities. And, and it, it, it should be expected that you would see a culture of, you know, debauchery and a culture of irresponsibility and a culture of immediate gratification and, a, you know, and a, a culture of immaturity when, you know, so many of an individual's rights and responsibilities that they previously had and should have for the, you know, for the proper maturation and development of, of who they are has been delegated elsewhere. And so, you know, how do, it should be expected that people kind of devolve and disintegrate in this kind of a way when that happens. And of course, then you have this massive power imbalance where all the power and all the money has gone to that apparatus, you know, at the expense of the people that it's presuming to, to serve. So, you know, this is why we Bitcoin, of course, um, at least from my perspective, this is, you know, one of the big reasons why we do to try to reestablish a more sensible and proper balance in that relationship between people and 
whatever form of governance is ultimately optimal. I don't know if it's none. I don't know if it's like a Bastiat sort of, you know, small scale, again, arbitrating property rights thing. I think Bitcoin radically changes the landscape there because we've never had the ability to uh, preserve and protect our own property in the way that Bitcoin now allows. So I think that means that, and, and of course, keep it out of the, the hands of government as well. And so starve them of their funding. So I think that means that, you know, that apparatus is likely to shrink, uh, shrink substan <laughs> substantially over the next, you know, several decades. And that would be good. And we'll find a balance, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm, you mentioned that your, your own kind of political philosophy is, is anarchy. Can you ex explain a little bit about that? Yeah, and uh, just just in kind of comments to, to what you're saying, I uh, I am um, I find it hard to toe the line between. On, on the one hand, I'm not willing to um, uh, subscribe victimhood to any mm. anyone who is age majority, and I would I would say honestly, for me, that's like 14 and up. 14 and up, um, it's on you. Uh, certainly, once you know, 18 and over. Um, and so on the one hand, I don't want to say, here's a bunch of victims, look what the government yeah. has done. And on the yeah. other hand, I want to acknowledge that the government is, is, is hurting people and, uh, and making it very hard to live a moral upright life or making it harder, I should say. I totally agree with that. I, and I've said that, you know, many times in the past that people are put in a situation where um, there are more artificial impediments to their own, you know, development and self-actualization and all this kind of stuff. And I think it's an injustice that they are imposed in that way. Um, but I don't think it means that they can assume that identity of victim, as you say. I mean, I still think it's upon us, no matter what our circumstance, to determine what our actions and words should be, you know, and, and the circumstance should not ultimately be the final arbiter there. We should be. But we can still look out and say the circumstance, there's, you know, the circumstance is unjust and we should do what we can to try to make it more just. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, Christian uh, anarchism, I, uh, I'm not sure how much. So I'll just I'll go over some of the things that I, I'll try to distinguish where what Christian anarchism believes in general and what I believe, because there are some differences. But um, they would say that. At, at its core, everything kind of based in the Bible that the gospel is at its core anarchist. Um, and so you see this in how Jesus lives his life. He's largely either ignoring governments or subversively attacking them in different ways. Um, you see this, you know, you, you know, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but, uh, you know, Jesus getting pissed off in the temple and driving everybody out. Jesus swearing at the Jewish government. Um, you know, in the, <laughs> I love the, the phrase Conor McGregor made famous in the UFC. He says, you know, I didn't come to take part. I came to take over. Uh, I think that's, that's kind of a good phrase to ascribe to Jesus in this context. He didn't come to take part in our world. He came to take over. And so um, with uh, Christian anarchism, some of the core tenets um, that uh, we would believe there's only one source of authority that Christians need to obey, and that's God. Um, and so we only obey the government when the government happens to agree with God. So God says, don't murder. The government also says, don't murder. And so I don't murder because God told me to, not because, and the government happens to agree with God. So, I mean, that's maybe an extreme example. 
Um, the second thing, so you can stop me at any point if you want to talk more about these. Yep. Um, the second thing uh, that we believe is that all governments are or become, well, I would say probably all governments are in general, coercive, uh, deceitful, and idolatrous. So coercive, they basically try to force you to do what they want as opposed to giving you freedom. Um, deceitful, they don't, obviously they don't tell you the truth. They lie, cheat, and steal in a bunch of different ways. And idolatrous in that they're they are trying to put themselves in the place of God and want you to worship them in a bunch of different ways. And so they're trying to provide the things that God is supposed to provide. And so um, I think a lot of Christians, well, some Christians, definitely some Christians would disagree with this, but my personal belief is that the government is actually a tool of the devil designed to fight against God and humanity. So uh, that's kind of a spiritual language, but um, this idea that the government is inherently evil. And so God uses, again, using Christian language, God uses this, this devil's tool to help his people. And he says, we need to um, mind the government in different ways, Romans 13 or whatever in the Bible, different places. But it's, to me, it's kind of like, um, it's like a bad thing that's being used, like a, like a farmer might use coyotes to train his son to defend the chicken coop, right? But the coyote, it's not like the farmer bred and raised the coyotes. He's just saying the coyotes are there. And I'm going to use them to train my son on his marksmanship so that our chickens stay good. So I, I would see the government like that. Like it's, it's um, God has his own rules for a structure. Um, he calls that the church and has a bunch of rules in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, how that should be set up. But I, I believe God is a libertarian at heart and a free market capitalist for now. Um, he's going to be changing that one day. But uh, for now, he, he's very much uh, laissez-faire and letting people uh, live the way they want to. And um, and to some extent restraining evil, but mostly just allowing people to make their own choices to kind of see where everyone ends up. Ends up. And then I guess the final thing I would say is most Christian anarchists do oppose war and violence. They say it's, we're, we're not here to violently take over. I'm not sure where I stand in full disclosure. Uh, I, I only say that because you know if the, if the police came and tried to take my child away, I'm, I'm not sure how I would act. Mm -hmm. I do see Jesus in the in the Bible being violent, and so I believe it's possible to be violent in a righteous way. Um, but I haven't I haven't thought enough about that in order to have some clear statements. Other than again, you know, we're called to act like Jesus, and Jesus very clearly uh, puts himself in situations and, and uses violence in what Christians would say has to be righteous because Jesus what Jesus does is be righteous. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, you know, like if, if government is just de facto evil, let's say, uh, why do you think it's so ubiquitous? You know, put another way, why do you think it's been so competitively advantageous, let's say? Like if, if, the, if the Christian doctrine or, yeah, let's say if, if the Christian doctrine was sufficient to order you know humanity and to uh determine how we should act with one another and all that stuff what is why has government so consistently popped up to kind of enforce a set of rules that either kind of cohere with that doctrine or depart from it entirely um why do you think that's been the case uh two things come to mind when you say that the first is that um people by nature uh, are worshipers 
I would say the human nature is to worship something. So the human nature is to look up at the stars and say, I am, I'm bigger than a bug, but there's things that are a lot bigger than me. And so this is why when people look at the mountains or they are in nature and in nature, you have um, uh, just the grandness of creation. So you see all these different things. And so there's a desire to worship. So that's one. And I think that translates into a desire to be kept safe as well. So those two would kind of be probably closely paired. And so there's a desire within humans to worship. And if they don't have something good to worship, they'll worship just about anything. Um, so there's one, there's, and obviously we see this a lot, you know, as soon as humans get scared in general, they, they're looking for safety more than they're looking for freedom. A, a, a huge subsection of humanity is doing that. The, right. the second thing I would say is, again, using Christian language, um, there's there, uh, the whole category of things that we would call sin is, um, is generally it feels advantageous in the short term. And so um, if you have to pick, do I do the right thing or do I do the expedient thing? The expedient thing is going to at least appear to give you short-term gain. And the right thing is going to give you the long-term gain. And so across Christianity, you have this, um, this idea of, hey, if I, if I cheat on my spouse, then I get the short-term pleasure and that's going to be fun and exciting. And it'll make me feel, you know, all these, all these good things. And then, um, but in the long run, it's going to be bad for your relationship. It's going to be bad for your life. And so I, I think that that extends into, um, into all of life. So the, the, the government does the expedient thing, right? I mean, look at the, the money problem, right? What are we, what are governments doing? They're doing the expedient thing. What is, what is going to get me the short-term, uh, popularity going to ease the short-term pain. Um, in contrast, Christianity is all about long suffering, enduring, uh, playing the long game, having the, uh, the low time preference. And, uh, and so I, I think part of the, part of the big problem is that people are really, a lot of people I see are focusing their lives on avoiding suffering. Mm. And that is very anti-Christian. It's, it's anti-Christ to avoid suffering. Suffering should be, um, much less valued or focused on the, 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 the Christian question is what's the right thing to do. Maybe you don't suffer, maybe you do, but, but what is the right thing to do? And so mm -hmm. uh, those are some of the reasons why I would, I would say government is ubiquitous for the same reason that sin is ubiquitous. It, it's everywhere for the, um, uh, you know, you have the story in the Bible where God uh, uh, puts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden and he puts it in the center of the garden. And everyone, you know, if you take time and think, okay, what would I do if I was God? Well, I wouldn't put temptation in the middle of the garden to screw up my creation after I spent all this time building it. But God does that because he's not interested in avoiding suffering and he's not interested in, in keeping perfection. He's interested in the growth of humanity. And that comes through testing and temptation. Right. And so do you think it's fair to say that government is, in a sense, the manifestation of our lack of virtue almost? You know, so it's like, it's what world manifests when uh whatever the opposite of, of virtue is within us is is appealed to and when we give it that energy and when we as a result um yeah manifested in the world through through our actions you know so it's kind of emblematic of all the things about us that are not virtuous in a sense do you know what i'm getting at there yeah i think were, i yeah sorry go ahead i was just because you were saying you know like one of the aspects is is gratification you know and to the extent that you can 
um, stave off gratification, you know, I think generally speaking, that's kind of uh, in the direction of serving a higher virtue than just the immediate, you know, physiological or emotional gratification. Um, and so in my mind that I, I, that kind of triggered in me the thought that like, is this institution simply kind of an aggregation of all of that taken together? Um, and that is why it may be, you know, construed as, I don't know, evil or, or some kind of uh, parasitical vestige. Yeah, I, I think that um, I'm I'm much more pessimistic about humanity than, than the average person. Part of that is my own. <laughs> part of that is my own life experience and the way right. I think about things. Um, uh, we can get into that too later. Um, yeah, sure. But I. So that being said, I do think that everything humans create still has the um, what's the right word? I was going to use the word stench, but that's too negative. Has the aroma of humanity on it. I'll say that. And so when um, this is the reason why my wife and I think it's terrible to send our kids to the, a public school system, because you end up with a bunch of immature children in a room who teach each other the fundamental realities of life from their point of view. Mm. Um, and so this is what, what we have in governments is we have adult children getting together and teaching each other the fundamental realities of life as they see it. And, and so what happens, we have this this group of, of old people who don't seem to know, what they're, I mean, nothing against old people, obviously, but who don't seem to know what they're doing, who, and everyone waits with bated breath, what's the number going to be? Mm -hmm. uh, is, is CPI going upward? You know, all these, all these, you know, clown world stuff. And, and it's all just, it comes out of this, uh, this age old process. You know, you see it in the Bible, you see it in history, humans create something, uh, they create it in their own image. They pretend that they know what they're doing and then they end up uh, hurting themselves in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I think your point earlier about worship is also very apt. Like, and a lot of people would be resistant to that, of course, because they see worship purely in the religious sense. And I think, as you said, you know, whether you consider yourself secular or not, I think worship is a, a mode of behavior, not a exclusively you know, religious sort of act. And the, I think one of the functions perhaps of religion is, is to try to answer that question of what should you be worshiping in order to, you know, facilitate, foster and manifest the best life possible, you know, for yourself and in harmony with the community that you're a part of, um, because you will orient your behavior uh, around some perspective, some set of principles, some value, some being even. And so, that's that's unavoidable. That's just how consciousness functions, it seems. And so determining the best way to do that, you know, the best thing to quote unquote worship has obviously been one of the central questions throughout all of recorded human history. And, you know, as I'm off to say these days, you know, to dismiss that out of hand uh, is very hubristic and arrogant. And I think also cuts someone off from participating in the answer to that question, which can be so fruitful in their life. But another question I wanted to ask you about. Well, can I respond was, to that for a second? Yeah, sure. sure. I, I'm, um, because I, I agree with some of your thoughts about worship. And um, it's interesting to me that I've come to this, I've come to this understanding and 
some people might call it convenient considering I'm a Christian, but it seems that even if Christianity isn't true, it's still the best truth claim on which to build society. Um, and, yeah, and so, I think people would have way less resistance to that assertion for sure. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah. Um, so there, there's this idea that, so one of the, one of the, one of the basic things I think that makes Christianity, um, work in a society and, and makes it useful for building a society, whether it's true or not, is the fact that in Christianity, you have this belief system where people are punished for doing evil, where they're rewarded for doing good and both the punishments and the rewards. And this is the important part, both the punishments and the rewards are way better than anything you could get in this life on your own. And so it, it, it constantly pushes people towards doing good and not doing bad because the, you know, the carrot, the carrot in the stick, you know, you have the carrot in front of you that, Hey, here's a good reason you get rewarded for doing good. And you have the stick behind you to say, Hey, don't do that. Or you're going to be punished. And I think that's, that's, um, to me, I think that's a, uh, that's evidence that Chris, there's something in Christianity more than just kind of a, a you know, a 2000 year old goat herder religion that came up out of the desert. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll piggyback on that a little bit as well. Like, I, I think that's an important point that critics don't consider enough. And that is why does what works work? Yeah. Why is that? You know, and so in, in the realm of mathematics and science, we might say that, well, the reason why this spaceship that I've designed works, i.e. it's able to travel to the intended destination, whether that's, you know, the space station or Mars or the moon or whatever, is because we understand all the different forces with which it's contending, you know, and all the mathematical, mathematical formulae that we have to understand that we built into this machine in order to allow it to move through space in that manner, allow it to work, right? Allow it to achieve our desire, achieve our desired ends for it. Um, we've, un we've discovered them basically. And we've, we've, we've caused this thing to cohere to them. And as a result, it works. And so in the realm of human consciousness, human behavior, human interaction, why is it that what works best works? Now, obviously many people would debate like what type of perspective works best, the Christian, the Taoist, the Buddhist, the secular. I mean, I think that the, the the secular ones having a pretty hard time these days to defend uh, that one in particular, <laughs> but nevertheless, like uh, everyone has their perspective that they, they probably defend. But I think you're, it's right to say that like the one that works the best, however, we might determine that, however, history might prove that must be making a truth claim. As you say, it must like, because by virtue of it working, it's cohering or aligning with something that is broad, more broadly true. And I don't, you know, I don't think that's contentious at all. Cause that's just how everything works, right? Like things only work if they're, if they're cohering or aligning with like the truth of the environment in which they're attempting to, to work or to exert or exact their will, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is a very interesting discussion to have, you know, that, that like whether or not every element of 
a particular religion, let's say in this case, Christianity is either historically accurate or factually true or all that kind of stuff. Does it produce a perspective, a mode of being, a, an orientation for behavior that is most optimized for our existence here on earth? And the answer may very well be yes. I mean, I don't think I'm in a position to answer that question, but it's certainly a conversation that I've been, I mean, you know, I, I think about a lot. I'm in, interested in having. Yeah, it's uh, that if, you know, if I ever met Jordan Peterson, that's the one question I would ask him because he goes so deep into these Bible stories and how they're archetypes for humanity. And these, and the, my question is always, why? Why do you think it is that these, work so well why do you think it is that there's two claims why do you think that you can distill out truth about reality from from a lot of the different religions like when i when i talk to atheists i don't say um christianity is true and everything else is false my the way i phrase it because this way i believe is technically true christianity is the most true of the available options and therefore until something better comes along that's what we would be smart and scientific and wise to go with um but yeah, this, this question of why, why do these things work? I, I wonder sometimes if people um, just are, you know, it's like with Bitcoin, there's some people, they're just not comfortable taking the plunge. So they sit on the fence forever and they come up with elaborate reasons why they should sit on the fence. And they come up with all these excuses for, for sitting on the fence, but in the end they're sitting on the fence. And um, the, the uh, you know, there's some interesting verses in the Bible, which, which say pretty clearly that the thing, the people God dislikes the most are people who sit on the fence. Mm. You know, there's one, you know, be, be either hot or cold, but lukewarm, you're, you're in trouble. Um, you know, make a choice. I didn't create you to sit on the fence. And so yeah. my, my encouragement to, you know, to everyone watching, uh, you know, is, is go through that and then come to that decision to make the choice. Um, for my, for myself, the, the choice was clear because, uh, I, I have an interesting past that has that made Christianity essential in my life. Yeah. Anyways. Well, I'm curious now if you want to um, discuss that, but before you say whether or not you, you do, um, I agree. And I think Peterson would actually, if you asked him this question, I, I mean, I think he very much agrees with that perspective, you know, like why does it work so well it, it, for something to work so well? It's, it has to, be making you know it has to be true on some level you know and so maybe not in all the details maybe not in the characterization but in the perspective and behavior that it produces that's what's important not necessarily how you get there and if 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 that works if that produces the best outcomes it's cohering with something that i think one must assert makes it true maybe not fully true maybe not finally true but again like you said like as true as we currently are able to discern. And again, I'm not making that claim for Christianity versus other religions, but I'm saying like, I think that's- Why not, John, why that, not? That's, <laughs> that's what's going on here. Well, and, and to, your, to your, you know, on the fence um, thing, like I can appreciate why it, I'll put it this way. Belief is such a consequential thing. Um, and I think this is why, there's so much trepidation on, and for a lot of people, this may not be conscious, but for some people, I think the reason why there's a lot of trepidation and there's a desire to really put in the work to determine what your beliefs are is because some people appreciate how 
consequential beliefs are, like how much they end up informing how you see the world and how you act and your preferences and everything. And also, of course, the the outcomes that stem from them. And so I think um, it's it's warranted to be very careful about one's beliefs and not just um, accept or assume them because of tradition, because of family status, because of, you know, culture, community, nation, all that kind of stuff, but to do it very uh, consciously because that's the whole, th that's the way beliefs operate. They, they more so than anything else, construct that framework and perspective that you meet the world with. And of course that determines your life. And so one must be very careful what their beliefs are. And I would say, you know, today in, in the pop culture, let's say, that's not the case at all. You know, people, you know, basically adopt by default the cultural conditioning and the cultural belief system absent any real conscious engagement with that process, be it religious, you know, quote unquote religious or otherwise. And that's part of, you know, that's one of the big problems that we have is that people are, well, this is the MPC criticism, right? Like everyone is just so uh, at the mercy of the cultural belief system and the cultural conditioning and the cultural signals and the cult and, and the propaganda and all that kind of stuff. That's why you have that great meme where they just open up the back of the head and put a, you know, they take out the COVID chip and they put in the Ukraine chip and close the <laughs> yeah. door and like, you know, and that's, that's very real. And people are not conscious enough of how their perspective is generated. And um, yeah, I, I think that's a problem. And that's part of the reason why we see a lot of the things that we would probably be critical of in, in society today. But I also think this is why there's kind of this, at least from my vantage point, um, this resurgence in the intrigue of these questions and the interest in these questions, you know, and, and so people are maybe fence sitting right now, but at least they're actively fence sitting. At least now they're like, where before they just accepted whatever their, uh, environment inculcated in them in terms of a perspective and belief system. And now from my perspective, it seems like people are waking up to at least engage consciously in this process, patiently, actively, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. But that's, that's an amazing change because, you know, I think a lot of people are waking up and saying, I've been asleep in various ways for too long. And this has caused me to be strung along in ways that I don't necessarily agree with. And like, I want to take back control of my mind and I want to take back control of my perspective and I want to take back control of what I believe is right and wrong and, and true or false and all those things. And what I think, I think that's going to end up producing. Um, well, I think that's going to be part of this Bitcoin Renaissance that we often talk about. And it may very well be the case that um, it pushes our knowledge, our collective knowledge forward of these issues that have been uh developed and talked about since the beginning of time, which is, you know, these deeply meaningful, you know, call them religious or philosophical ideas and notions. I mean, even within the yeah. Christian tradition, right? I mean, there's been a ton of extremely uh, stimulating and fascinating development and refinement of these ideas over the past 2000 years, you know, and there's been some amazing thinkers in that tradition that I've, you know, only just scratching the surface, but really enjoying. And I don't think a, a lot of people appreciate that either. And so my point in, in saying that is just that like, it, it's not a, I don't think the story is finished, right? Like even if the, yeah. fund, even if the fundamentals um, are established, it doesn't mean 
we figured out the totality of how to interpret and, and align with, you know, these supposed truths, you know, so I, there's a yeah. lot of, a lot of things to be discovered yet. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, I, it's quite possible. I'm just being impatient when I, I see that the world turning <laughs> and like, uh, I think one of the reasons is that in thinking about why does God seem to not like fence sitters? I think it stems from his dislike of self-deception. Um, I, mm -hmm. I think um, there, are, there are some truth claims that we can have that require nothing from us. So I can, I believe the Detroit Pistons are going to win the championship next year or, you know, whatever. And it, that doesn't require anything of me, but what making belief claims about God, these are, these are, uh, I think from God's perspective, but certainly from my perspective, they're unavoidable. And so the, the, the idea of a fence sitter is, um, to some extent, just this illusion that we, we give ourselves. So, um, I think the, the, um, the deepest held beliefs are always acted out. And so um, the question is not, do I, you know, Jordan Peterson has this wonderful speech somewhere on YouTube where he talks about like, how dare you say you believe in God? Do you know what that entails to actually believe in God? Um, and it's just a wonderful thing that I, I just found his language so eloquent and in, in understanding this, this, this issue between a value and an ideal, right? Most of us probably have heard this. An ideal is something you, you wish you had, but you don't actually value it enough to do it. Like I, I have the ideal that I will lose 50 pounds or that I will, you know, get a girlfriend, get married, set up, whatever, you know, I have this ideal, but you don't actually value it enough to do it. The values are what you actually do. And so, yeah. you know, I come up when I, I, I try to chat with people about Jesus often and in talking with, with atheists, they quite frequently have this line. Well, I'm, I'm not saying, I, I just need more evidence. I'm not saying God doesn't exist. I'm just saying he hasn't proven that he does. And so, and, but when you look at their lives, they're living as if God does not exist, mm -hmm. which means they do actually believe that God doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. If someone, you could, um, when you look at someone's life, you can, you can tell if they actually believe God doesn't exist or if they're actually not sure. And, you know, Pascal's wager, and if you're familiar with that term, and these, these different opportunities for people to say, hey, look, if I'm not sure, it behooves me, you know, it's in my best interest to go along with a plan, because if there is someone more powerful than me in the world, and he has right. plans for my life, then it's, it's, you know, it's a good idea for me to at least go along until I figure it out. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. But I, I agree with you that there's, there's potential in humanity with the, um, with the rise of spirituality. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also, I, I think perhaps why <clears throat> that kind of language is used, um, you know, the, the disdain for fence sitters, let's say, is because, and you basically, you know, said this, just said this in so many words, there's no such thing. It's not possible to sit on the fence because we must act. So if you're acting, you've either consciously or, or unconsciously made a determination of what's going to to orient or motivate your action. I think, you know, maybe that's why there's this emphasis on not doing that in, in religious texts is because, and as you say, like you're, it's, it's kind of a self delusion. If you tell yourself that because action is not possible without valuation evaluation is not possible without an orienting value structure. And so you have one, it's just a matter of which one do you have? Not like, Oh, I'm in between. And to the point about, I mean, certainty is elusive, right? I mean, I, I think no matter what we 
do, I mean, human consciousness and human knowledge is always bumping up against, you know, what we don't know about everything. And so I think there's part of the reason why faith is a central theme in a lot of these things is because at some point you have to make that leap. You know, you have to say like, there's a gap between what I can fundamentally, you know, I can absolutely know for sure. And, you know, the truth, capital T truth. And maybe I'll never be able to fully close that gap. And maybe even part of bringing it into existence is that very action of leaping toward it, of leaping over that chasm and saying, you know, maybe it requires that degree of commitment and, and dedication to bring it into being. And perhaps that's another reason why it's so central. And the, and the last part about Peterson, you know, people, when he says, you know, uh, people ask him if he believes in God, because there's this tension, like he talks so much about uh, Christianity and he's so eloquent and all this kind of stuff, but people get a sense he's not like a card carrying, you know, church going yeah. sort of Christian and people always try to pin him down. Hey, are you one of us? Are you one of us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he, you know, people think that answer is a cop out, but like you, I, I don't think it's a cop out whatsoever because who gives a shit what you say you believe? Well, you know, like the talk is cheap, but, but do you, and, and I think he's more saying it, it like not, I think he's saying it in this way. I find myself acting as though God exists. Like, I think he's saying it as an observation of his action, not as like a, yeah. an attempt to um, emphasize action over belief. Even I, I think he's saying like, look, I don't, I don't know how to answer the do I believe in God question, but I find myself acting as though such a such an entity, such a thing, such a force exists. And I think that's the most honest answer anyone can give. You know, and so, you know, it's not satisfying to a bunch of people who want to nail down his perspective on that. But, um, you know, at least I appreciate that he answers that question in that way. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that Jordan Peterson is going down a road. Many people who call them, themselves Christians aren't willing to go down. Um, I, you know, I, I spent a, a fair amount of my life in and out of churches. And, uh, you know, the Bible, if, if you, you know, when you read through the New Testament, it seems pretty clear. That there's a large, pe like, let's, uh, if we assume Christianity is true, and we assume that the Bible is the word of God, then there's a large percentage of people who go to church who do not end up in heaven and so um you know obviously if people don't believe in god or they don't follow the bible then they don't care about that but just for any christians that are watching this this should make you pause and think okay what is jordan peterson talking about and how can i have that same conversation in my life like do i actually believe this stuff and if i do then that requires a certain certain way of life um i you know i if i can pick up on something you said you mentioned uh certainty and how, and it sounded like, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounded like you were, you were, you were talking about uh, the, this idea that humans are, are kind of doomed to not have certainty in their life. And the best we can do is kind of some idea of probability or, or do the best with what we have. Um, I don't know if I, if I heard that correctly. Um, I, I would say that if atheism is true, then we cannot have certainty. That I agree with. If Christianity is true, then we can have certainty, actually. How so? Okay, so uh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, there's, 
uh, I don't know. Have you ever, I don't know if you've, you've delved into to Christianity, come across different types of apologetics. Um, if you're interested in this line of thinking, it's called presuppositional apologetics. It's very philosophy focused. Um, but the, the basic understanding is that there's, there's only two ways, logically speaking, that we can be certain of, any, of anything in life. Um, and so you, you must either know everything, okay? You have to know all the information that exists in order to be certain of any one thing, right? Because if, if you only knew 50% of the information, the other 50% may counteract or change the 50% you do know, right? right? So the law of gravity, the law, you know, and then we move on to um, what, a better example would be, you know, uh, theory of relativity. Okay, now we know how the world works. Oh, theory of special relativity. Oh, quantum mechanics, all these different things that kind of change how we know things. So you have to, the one way to be certain of any one little thing is that you must know all information. The other way that you can be certain of anything is if you have revelation from someone who does know everything. And that's, that's the claim of Christianity, that because we have revelation from God who knows everything, therefore we can be certain about at least a few things. And so that, that's where the, um, how we view the, the world um, changes how we, how we think about life. And of course, you can be certain about something that's not actually true, and you can be, have uncertainty in an area which you should have certainty. Mm-hmm. But philosophically speaking, the Christian worldview allows humans to have certainty. Right. But from where does the certainty of the thing that is certain come from? Is because and when I was making my point, I wasn't necessarily talking about probabilities. I was kind of emphasizing the the unavoidable role of faith, whatever, and like what that idea means, right? You, you, because like again, because for, we're forever limited in our our knowledge, and so is faith not the bridge that allows us to act as if? something is absolutely true and invite whatever wisdom knowledge you know uh is contained therein and invited into our life and and manifested in our life in that way because i hear i hear what you're saying like conceptually but we still have the problem of accepting or believing or knowing that the thing that we're presuming is all knowing which we can derive full knowledge through revelation from is all knowing Right. So there's, yeah. is, is there not always a, a leap of faith? Well, I would, I think I would uh, maybe define faith a little differently as, as I, I believe the Bible does. But in that, I, I think that um, unless you have an infinite regression, you, you end up at some stopping point and you have to decide what that point is. Um, the unavoidable, right. the unavoidable facts of life are that this universe began even that, that simple fact alone, tells you that there's certain certain things that we have to take into account you know look at the laws of logic and how you without certainty you cannot have laws of logic and so it it seems like kind of back to our uh discussion a little earlier that there are are things that seem baked into the system that give us clues and as to how the system should work and what we should find here so we should be able to find some measure of certainty because certainty is required for us to live our lives um in, in a lot of different ways. And we, we seem to know certain things. Some things we're not sure about and other things we seem to definitely know even deeper than words can express. And without certainty, you can't have any knowledge. And so all these different things, I think, uh, bring us back to the idea of 
uh, for me anyways, they bring me to the idea of, okay, which worldview explains this and which view worldview describes this. And so that's, I mean, that's why I settle on Christian. But. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think I know what you're saying and there's, maybe it's a matter of scale in terms of what things can be certain. Cause like, I agree, like knowledge and logic requires certain ax axioms, right? But inevitably we have some kind of faith in the axiom too, because it's like, is it universally true or is it true put through the lens of our own perception and, you know, the field of potential that is in front of us or that we are, are a part of? Is it true beyond that? Well, who knows? We can't know, right? So we use these <clears throat> axioms to build logic on top of them in order to better understand and orient ourselves and, and move through the field of potential that we're confronted with. But a, a, a grander absolute certainty, again, so one, I, I, I don't know if that's, I, I think that has to be axiomatically assumed, which I think is kind of the role of faith. Now, maybe we're dancing in circles mm. here, but to assume that there's like an absolute truth that locks all of those other truths, to, truths together, and then upon which life and logic and rationality and other things can be built. Uh, I, I, I feel like that still requires that notion that we call faith. And I also think that there's something, there's something extremely valuable in, in that action. Like it's not just a necessity for everything to click and for us to be able to build logic. Like I think faith is almost like that necessary sacrifice or a necessary sacrifice almost, to, you know, to have skin in the game, to make it real, to make it relevant. So that like that truth that you're aligning with you're invested in, in some way. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe no. we're going in circles. Yeah, it could be. I, I would agree with you. Uh, for, for, for me, faith is, is um, taking the evidence that you have and then extrapolating that out. So I, uh, you know, blind leap of faith. I, I don't, I just don't see that in the Bible. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm missing the parts where that, where that exists. I, I see much more. Um, so for example, faith about God, where God gives evidence and says, now, based off this evidence, I'm asking you to extrapolate that out. So I look at the chair. I see that the chair is sturdy. I see that John sits in the chair. I see that my wife sits in the chair. So now I have not yet sit in the chair, but I have faith that the chair will hold me. And then faith is that action of me stepping out and sitting in the chair. And so, um, that's more how I would see faith, but I, I agree with you. You know, sometimes it's not always that helpful to chat about all these philosophical things, unless you have like, you know, six or seven hours to go through and, and say, okay, okay. We're, we're, you know, what's the base here? We talk about axisms, but if we can agree on that logic exists, you know, you have, you know, was it the law of non, the law of identity, the law of non-contradiction, the law of the excluded middle. If we can say that those have to be present in this universe, then we can kind of build off that and, and say, okay, there are certain worldviews, which if true, render all of this absurd. And there's certain worldviews, you know, like, you know, um, I don't know if you need to believe in Christianity specifically in order to have, to be rational in the, in the philosophical language, but I would say you need to believe in some kind of mind in which all of this happens. So that, you know, yeah, the Bible would that. say that God's mind, um, this is, you know, logic exists because that's how God's mind works. Um, 
the laws of the Bible exist because that's God's character, right? Yeah. Murder isn't wrong because killing humans are wrong. Murder is wrong because God's not a murderer and we're made in his image. So we're not supposed to murder either. So that type of thing. But Yeah. And I, I can see deducing all of that from like one source, you know, God or, you know, the all encompassing mind or the primary value or whatever you want to call it. Maybe, maybe we're getting hum hung up, not on the word of faith, but the word of certainty, you know, like what even, what is certainty? What does certainty mean? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So and you, you can pick, <laughs> you can pick where we go in this conversation because we can talk forever about anything. Um, uh, I would say uh, certainty is something that a person knows to be true, which is actually true. Um, to, to, yeah, maybe that's the best definition. I yeah, remember. I mean, that, that, that's certainly a, a rational and, and workable definition. I mean, we're probably dealing with concepts that uh, language is, can only partially encompass you know if we're if we're dealing with the notion of the uh all-powerful creator of the universe then it's quite possible that uh our language is insufficient to address it you know so when we're when we're dealing with notions like you know because as you just said like certainty is what you think to be true and is true well then we're like well okay but what does true mean Right. You know, like, and uh, what are the different ways that we could pick that apart and how do we determine what is true? Again, like we were saying before, like what, what works, right. So what we think to be true and then what our actions prove out to be in line with, you know, that thought that broadly speaking is, is what works. You know, that's a pragmatic truth. If you again, want to use some, you know, maybe more secular language. Um, but does that, speak to capital T true, or is that a more narrow definition of a, almost like a utilitarian or a pragmatic truth? So um, I've certainly elements of my investigation and experiences in, into these realms of thinking, I've certainly encountered the limits of language before, and, and perhaps those are always going to be limits that we have in addressing yeah. this stuff. And I think from the Christian worldview, we would say that certainly language is insufficient to totally encompass God, but because God exists, language is sufficient to understand what we need to understand in order to grasp the concept of God. Yeah, so even, well, that, that's fair. So, so we say truth, well, truth is whatever corresponds to reality, and reality is has its um, uh, source in the mind of God, as you kind of come back to that. So the, the, the lower T truth, you know, that which, you know, makes me successful or kind of the um, cause and effect relationships I see in, in, in my life. All of that is always past tense. I think the only way to get to truth in a forward-looking tense is to um, uh, uh, depend on, uh, basically depend on God because everything, we're always, in order to look at the history, or I mean, in order to look at the future, we're always extrapolating from the past, right? Mm. So you have the, you know, the, the old philosophical, you know, you drive past a red barn, and then you drive past another red barn, you drive past 100 red barns, uh, what color is the next barn going to be? You still don't know, right? You think, oh, th there's a high probability that it's red, but there's, there's no way to connect the past to the future, unless 
you um, envelop this universe in some kind of cohesive whole, which we would call the mind of God. Um, mm -hmm. And so, it, it, yeah, I don't know how long we want to talk about this, but th this idea of um, worldviews is that there's everybody uses these tools to live life, but there's only a few worldviews that can um, rationalize the tools they're using. So even atheists live in a world as if um, these laws of logic apply and rationality um, is good to use and certainty is possible. Um, true knowledge is available. Um, they live that way, but they, they often say, we're not living that way or they, yeah. They, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you're saying there. And I largely agree. I think if anything, perhaps, and there's a lot of room for interpretation here because people within both of those perspectives very yeah. great, very greatly. Right. Um, but I, you know, it's almost like oftentimes the religious or Christian worldview is at least more honest with themselves. Um, whereas, you know, the, the secular worldview perhaps doesn't recognize all the different ways in which they're uh, invoking a belief system uh, and kind of engaging in very similar processes, just oriented around something that they believe is different. Um, but they, uh, you know, my observation is that they kind of fail to recognize the manner, the manners in which they're doing that, and how much they're actually similar to other people that have a different worldview, be it religious or otherwise, um, and that creates a kind of a, a a blind spot, I I guess. You know, I think that one of the one of the ideas that I've been thinking about lately is if you don't have an orientation towards something larger of value beyond you. So again, like that could be interpreted many ways, but let's just for the sake of this discussion, say like, that's something like the idea of God or of Christ. Then I think your perspective might default to being primarily centered on and around yourself. And I wonder if that is part of the the pitfall of a quote unquote non-religious perspective because a primary orientation around glorifying yourself, let's say, instead of glorifying the principles and values contained within that higher power, be it Christ or, or God, actually is what manifests uh, suboptimal outcomes in one's life rather than optimal outcomes. Yeah. You're, you're basically trying to force a container, namely you to hold something, namely worship that is not designed to hold. And so of course the container is going to break. So in that scenario, I would say everyone, all humans by nature, worship the, the greatest being they can find. And mm. so it just so happens that people who don't believe in God, the greatest being they can find is themselves. And so that's who they worship. Um, mm. And so it, it's this conflict of there's something innate in humans that is explained by religious practice. Um, th this idea of congregating to worship something other than ourselves. And it just so happens that um, when you worship something other than yourself, you live a better life than if you worship yourself. 
And it just so happens that if you worship something bigger than yourself, that is good and, and represents a lot of the qualities that you see in some of the major religions like Islam, Judaism, Christianity, um, uh, that you, you foster a, a productive society. Mm. And so you kind of go down this line. But uh, it, it's amazing how much of humanity uh, just seems to be people trying to avoid what is necessarily true. Mm. Yeah, it's it seems so evident, you know, in that type of framing. And also, I think when you, when you act in the latter manner, like when you worship something greater or grander, you subordinate your perspective and yourself to them. I think that is the actual process of bringing their qualities into you and through you. Yeah. Right. Whereas if, if you don't do that and it's your primary orientation is yourself, I don't think you have as much capacity to do that, you know? Um, yeah. It's like then, that, that analogy of the, uh, the power cord that's plugged into itself or the, the meme that the power right. cord plugged into itself. Right? <laughs> right. Right. That's a good, yeah, that's kind of good. You know, I, I think this is why you, you have this, this um, strange uh, thing that happens in humanity where when people follow a leader, they become more like that leader. And, and so, I mean, you see this, you know, when Trump is in office, the America, everybody in America seemed to get just a little more uh, hostile with their words or whatever, or Trump, you know. Um, so I, I think you can see, uh, maybe this is not as evident in certain situations, but I think there's, there's a dynamic where when people follow a leader, they become more like them for that specific reason, that mm. there's, to whatever extent you're worshiping something, you become like that something. And of course, th this is a central idea to Christianity, or C.S. Lewis talks about how um i think it's uh one of his one of his short essays he says um something to the much better than i can say now but he says basically every person that you meet will one day either be an angel so angelic you'd be tempted to fall down and worship him or a demon so hideous you couldn't bear to look um that 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 whatever we um are bringing into our life uh, that's what we end up becoming. And so from a Christian perspective, if you're bringing more God into your life, you become more godlike. Mm. Um, if you're rejecting him and bringing more, you know, sin or devil or evil into your life, then you're becoming more like that. And, yeah. you know, even, even in, you know, common social circles, what do you say? You know, you become the average of the five closest friends you have or something like that. So I think there's definitely this interplay that people recognize on different levels. Definitely. You know, it's almost as if like, one should ask the question like what is the belief or sorry what is the the source that if you you know believed in it or subordinated yourself to it or oriented yourself around it you know would fulfill would feed would sustain you the most what is that and should we not that's Jesus, baby. <laughs> the self-sacrificing you know, self God. Right, right. And, sh and should we not ascribe to that a profound truth because, because of what it produces in that way? And as a result, is it not important to find and orient and revere that source? Because absent it, well, by definition, you're not you're not inviting those things into your life and you're not manifesting them through you, you know? So this is, I think this could even be, you know, a secular thought exercise. Like 
what is the, the, the source that you're, that's, that's feeding and sustaining you and, and manifesting good in your life? What is it? Yeah. You know, it's, a good, it's an interesting question to ask. And, and the next question, I think, is what would you want the source to be? If you, could, if you could create a world in which you were not God, but you were human in that world, what type of God would you want to exist? Mm. And, and start to look at that and say, and I think the longer you think about it, the longer you come to less of a Santa Claus God and more of a, a just, righteous, loving, but also judgmental God where you start to see the balances, right? When, when you have kids, you, you start to see this. You're like, oh, you know, it'd be nice to just give my kids candy all the time, but right. it, it creates terrible children. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about um, you just, you see some things and it seems like this is the way it's supposed to go. And so you just do it. Some, you know, almost on faith. Um, children was like that for me. I, I had no need for children in my life. Um, I grew up in a family that had, that had lots of kids. And so that was normal for me. But as being a Christian, I looked in the Bible and said, okay, uh, you know, the, the joke is the first command God ever gave humans was to have sex, right? In Genesis 1, he says, go, go forth and multiply, you know, make babies for me. And so there's this idea that one of the central things that humans are called to do as Christians is to um, um, raise or have children and raise them uh, in the right way. And so off faith, I said, you know what? I don't get this. I don't think I'm good dad material. Um, but it seems like I trust God. So let's just start this. And what happened is the more children we had, the better of a dad I became. And it, it's kind of, it's after you take that leap that you realize, wow, from my perspective, God was waiting for me to take the leap so that he could validate me in this. Yeah. And I've got to think that parenthood perhaps enhanced your relationship with god because you're almost able to understand that force better because as you just said i mean it's a it's a i think it's a really good analogy like is it best to just give your kids whatever they want well no that's definitely not the best is it the best to restrict them for everything they want to do no that's that's not the best like what is the proper balance to attempt to cultivate a quote-unquote optimized human being in this world and you know the answer is probably something like a fundamental base love of uh, a fundamental baseline of uh, of love, right? Of of unconditional love, and then upon that, a, a number of different parameters to try to uh, you know mold or form or 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 allow them to flourish in the, in the most optimal way, and you know. Yeah. Perhaps that is a, a very similar um, approach that the, the creator of us has taken. Yeah, it's, it can be helpful from a Christian perspective. It's helpful to look at what are the ways in which God describes himself. And so one of the most common is he's our heavenly father. And so I, I think that there's, there's a lot of ways in which, so if God exists and if Christianity is true, then the fact that God calls him father and created families and created this idea, like God could have had humans replicate however he wanted. There's lots of different options out here in creation, um, but he had them do this this specific way. You know, there's, there's bugs that actually pass on some of their memories to their children. This is genetically hardwired in them. We could have done that, but God said, no, I want the teaching, the learning, the growing process to be there. And so I definitely think there's a lot of ways in which 
the, the kind of father-son relationship or, you know, the parent-child relationship helps understand. And then you start to see it makes sense. Oh, you know, the Bible says the Lord disciplines those he loves um, and he chastens those he accepts as his children. And in, in that context, he's saying, look, if God's letting you do whatever you want without consequences, that's a sign he doesn't care about you, which is a very dangerous place to be. Mm -hmm. um, but and, and so as, as a father, you see, so as a Christian dad, I probably see fathering a little differently um, than, than people who are non-Christians. But there, there's this component of um, unconditional love, loved for who you are, not for what you do. And there's also a component of um, it's important to learn that there's authority in life and it's your job as a child to listen to your authority and to only listen to rightful authority. And so this is where a lot of people get confused and it can sound icky. Like I am, I'm, as a father, I'm the rightful authority for my children, mm -hmm. and so, you know, and, and obviously my wife as well. And so um, it's right for them to listen to me. It's not right for them to listen to the teacher at school because mm -hmm. the teacher, and I've, I've told my kids this, the teacher is not the rightful authority of you. I am. And so if you have to choose, you pick what I say and I'll cover for you. Um, you know, that, that, that type of stuff. Um, and I, and so from a worldly perspective, I would say, you know, God is the rightful authority and he tells us how to live. Um, government is not. And so it kind of ties into all these things. Um, but yeah, there's definitely this, uh, this, there's all these different things that interplay in parenting and you just, you can think about it all you want. I did think about it for a while before we have kids, but once you get it, you're like, oh, it's one thing to figure out what's right, which is hard to do. It's quite another to actually do that mm -hmm. because they're bugging the shit out of me or, you know, they, <laughs> you know, they're doing all these different things. And it's like, man, don't hit your kids. Don't hit your kids. Don't hit your kids. You know? Um, so it's, uh, well, you got uh, six, right? I think. You uh, yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're putting the full load on yourself. Well, it's kind of a go big or go home. That's how I, <laughs> I do in all of life. What I, I, I want to come back to two things. Or, yeah. One thing you mentioned and something that we, we started off with, but just to maybe put a little bit of a pin on this one, because we're, we're talking about like uh, how to, well, how one comes to understand all of this, how one comes to understand the mind and the will of God and, and orient their life around it or subordinate to it or what have you. Um, and so within the, the tradition, you know, you can be someone who's kind of like forced to go to church with your family. And then as you grow up, you're like, yeah, I get it. And it's a, it's a pragmatic and a, a useful perspective and structure to have. So I'm going to use it, you know, sure. I get it. Um, and then there are those who dedicate their life to, understanding it on a deeper level perhaps and so what do you think is the the functional difference like so there's it would seem to me that it's obvious there's a there's levels to this there's a, there's there's right. there's intellectual there's an intellectual space here and you can be you know kind of at the very basic rudimentary side of the range or you could you know be as deep in the weeds as possible and so as a a, a practicing Christian, what would you say is the consequence, I guess, of, of one or the other in terms of yeah. what you're able to access through this system of belief and understanding? Um, I, I, in answering, I'll probably oversimplify things, so you can forgive me for that right off the bat. Um, I, I think that the, uh, 
the person who lives Christianity, like doesn't buy in, but says uh, in the, you know, God, Jesus, you know, the kind of historical details maybe, um, but, but says these are useful tools. And so maybe they send their kids to Sunday school because they want their kids to grow up in a religion or whatever. Um, I think they're, they're, they're doomed is maybe the wrong word, but I'm gonna use it anyways. Uh, they're, they're doomed to have a life of internal conflict and external success. So people who act this way can do very well in life, but the conflict internal, and I can explain that more a little later, the conflict inside will be significant. On, on the flip side, the people who say, look, I'm all in. I, I don't know about all the fine details, but I'm all in on God. Um, in my case, I had some ex spiritual experiences that, that give me beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know this is real. It's just a matter of time. You know, it's like with Bitcoin, right? Look, I know Bitcoin is the best money out there. And so I don't care what the price is. I know it's a matter of time. People are going to come around to it. Um, it's kind of that for me with Christianity. Um, and so when you have, when you, when you, so you go deep and you try to live it and you're trying to hear God's voice, you're trying to um, be uh, full of integrity and you're, you're failing all the time, obviously, but you know, you're trying these things. There's internal peace and external conflict. So I'm in conflict with people at my church who just look, you know, look, I don't have enough money in my life. I don't have enough fame or power, but I've got enough God. So just chill out on the, on the heavy spiritual. They've got enough, you know, those people that it's a constant conflict because it makes them uncomfortable. Um, um, the world, right. When I, you know, there are obviously Christian beliefs, which the world very much hates now the idea that, you know, every, every human is in the image of God and is valuable and we shouldn't be killing babies and abortion or whatever, you know, you know, pick your topic. And so you have um, external strife, but you have internal peace. Now, my blessing is that I have a wife who's, who's, who's even more spiritual than me. And so we have our little cohort. Uh, and, you know, like, like with Bitcoin, when you find other Bitcoiners who are in it, you're like, okay, who cares about all those crazies out there? At least we know what's going on and we have each other. So that's really mm -hmm. bless, a blessing. When I was in the military, um, I was kind of the only one. And so I learned to be a loner like that. Um, but so you, you may be alone, you may have, have that companionship, but the internal peace. And so if you have to choose, I, the other thing too, is I think that um, if you live it outwardly, but not full on inwardly, I think your kids see that and you, you inoculate them against Christianity. So that, that would be my warning for anyone who's doing that. It's like, if, if you think it's a possibility, it could be true. You're basically screwing your children by just living it on the surface because they see that and they think, okay, that's what Christianity is. And then they realize, well, that doesn't make sense. Cause if it is true, you should be doing these other things. And if it's not mm -hmm. true, why are you wasting my time with it? Mm -hmm. So there's danger, sir. Uh, that's how I would uh, see, differentiate. My, my question was more on the difference between the possibilities in the, in the latter that you described. So not, not the one who just accepts it halfway or pragmatically or whatever, but okay. the difference between, I guess what the question I'm asking is like, does the intellectual approach to this system, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm by no means an expert in, you know, Christianity or, or any of this stuff, but I've been reading a bunch lately. And, and one of the readers that I've been reading is St. John of the Cross. And, you know, someone who's spent a lot of time thinking about God and the mind of God and, and all this kind of stuff. Is there a distinction between someone like that, who's just dedicated their life to trying to understand 
the mind of God or the essence of God more. And someone who just, by whatever means, I'm not exactly sure, but what, by whatever means just believes they see the truth and accepts it internally and lives by it, let's say in, you know, in accord with Jesus Christ or, or the teachings of the Bible and, and just live that out. I mean, this is kind of back to the question we were talking about with Peterson, but like, what does one enhance anything if they bring, you know, that full intellectual devotion to this system of belief or is it sufficient or is there a difference between that and simply saying, I believe fully in the truth of this doctrine or, or system, and I'm going to live it out to the best of my ability. And I, you know, I, I don't need to consistently poke it intellectually to try to better understand the mind mm -hmm. of God or something like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, the Bible suggests that the people who simply accept end up better in the long run. Uh, there, there is almost an, I think Christians may crucify me for saying this, but there's almost an anti-intellectual bent to Christianity so that Jesus seems to avoid the people who are trying to figure it all out and just um, appeal to the people who are in desperate need, who are willing, who are looking for a savior. Um, and so Jesus is hanging out with prostitutes. He's hanging out with all these sinners. He picks fishermen, um, uh, you know, these kind of lowbrow, uh, you know, it's, it's shepherds that are invited to his birth, these types of things that, so God's focus. And in, in fact, you know, in the old Testament, God says, you, do you know why I chose you Israel? You know why? Because you guys are weak and pitiful and kind of ugly. And I don't, and, and you're not, you're not, you're not, you don't have great stature in the world. That's why I picked you. And so there's this interesting aspect of God that comes out in the Bible where there's this fondness for just a simple person. And so I, I think kind of academic exercise and intellectualism is just as likely to lead someone to more navel gazing as it is to lead them closer to God. Now, that being said, I think everyone has their own mission from the Lord. Some people have a high IQ and God wants them to use that high IQ for his glory. And other people are just simple people and God wants them to live simply. But um, so we have um, a book you might be interested in is uh, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Um, so he's on the other end. He, he understood very little. He ended up being a monk, a dishwasher, in, uh, in a monastery in the 1400s. And um, this book was written because uh, someone took a bunch of letters and published them in a book against Brother Lawrence's will. Um, so he didn't want anyone to know. He said, everyone has to find their own path. But he would literally sit and wash dishes in a monastery and people would come from miles around just to sit with him because they could experience God where he was at. He had a, he had a very simple way of life. But um, I would say that... that um, influence at least as many people as some of the more academic writers like Augustine and uh, um, you know I think it's Augustine is Augustine or Aquinas who famously you know near the end of his life said everything I've written is straw after he had some kind of revelation of the Lord he's like this doesn't mean anything so I, I definitely think there's a there's both a danger like I came from a more intellectual field of Christianity uh, I was going through school to do uh, some uh, some things that the church would consider pretty nice for, like pretty amazing or whatever and I, I stepped back from all of that because I felt like God was talking to me and saying, look, you're in danger of this intellectual pursuit, which I still try to do as a guilty pleasure now and then, but <laughs> this intellectual pursuit where God's like, 
I'm not interested. You, you'll be able to understand me later when I give you your new mind that can actually comprehend these difficult concepts. Right now, we're just called to learn to love each other and to, um, and to uh, live a life that, that brings joy to everyone around you. It kind of reminds me of that bell curve meme, you know, that's been popularized the last few years. Okay. Where, have, you, have you seen it? It's like, you know, a, um, a standard deviation graph. Yeah. And it's like on the, on the left side, it's like, you know, just believe in Jesus and everything will be good. And the person, you know, is kind of basic looking, let's say. Okay, and then yeah. at the top, it's like your modern Uber, uh, like secularist, let's say. It's like, no, no, you can't believe in that. You like the universe, this and all of all. Uh, and then like on the on the far right side of it, it's, you know, a different look, like a more refined looking image of the, the first person, mm -hmm. but, but saying the exact same thing, you know, so it's oh, basically okay. kind of a, a commentary of like the journey of going from a basic, a seemingly basic belief and going through, you know, going deep into complexity and thinking that that is, um, you know, that is providential in some way. And then coming back to the extremely basic belief because of how well it works as we've been discussing. Yeah. Now, I, 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 that meme is, you know, used in many different things, of course, not just Christianity, or I don't even know if it's been used in that way, but it's, it's going around. I'll, I'll, next time I see one, I'll send it to you and you'll, you'll see what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, one of the, the other thing I've been, or one of the things I, I wanted to ask you back, uh, when we were talking about, you know, the, the necessity of government and, or why it seems such a persistent phenomenon was what does the, the Bible or Christianity have to say about property? You know, because again, like I think the, the, the primary or initial or fundamental reason why governance structures emerged was to protect, protect property and arbitrate property right disputes, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, of, of course, I think we both agree it's gotten way out of whack, as we said. But what does uh, what does Christianity say about property and property rights and how they are to be treated? Yeah. So uh, my what well, I'll, I'll say uh, right offhand that I think a lot of Christians will have a lot of different views, um, but everyone can listen to mine and see if it makes sense. So. Um, I think the best place to go is to the Old Testament here, although the New Testament obviously informs it. Um, what we see in Christianity and um, well, is, is God has this plan that he's folding out for the world to see. And, at, uh, and you know, we're going to start talking about Israel. So it starts with the Garden of Eden. And then you have um, God uh, um, picking a person, Abraham, and he builds this nation out of Abraham, Israel. And the, the goal is, I'm going to create, have this group of people. I'm going to teach them how to do things right. And they're going to be a light to the Gentiles, right? A light to the world. This is how you live life successfully. Okay. I'm God. I'm the guy who created all this. Here's my manual for how to live a successful life. And so, um, so then he, he, he puts these rules. Some of them seem in interesting and some of them make sense to us in, in this day and age, but you put these rules in place. Um, and this is supposed to be how the Israel and then the Israel Israelites, of course, they don't do this but they're supposed to export these ideas to the rest of the world. And so in terms of property, he has this interesting um, way of doing things. And this is actually is one of my concerns with Bitcoin, although Bitcoin is the last best hope for mankind. I do have some concerns about it, but um, uh, he has this, this interesting idea where each family gets their own plot of land and 
that land is this family's land forever. And so there's this, uh, and so you have the, 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 the year of Jubilee every 50 years, every 49 years, um, the land reverts back to the original owner. So you, if you sell it or make mistakes or whatever, you go into debt, you get it all back. But there's, there's very much this idea that each family should get their own land and then they can do with it what they want. And so there's, there's a sense in which there's kind of an equity here where we're all gonna kind of start out on the same footing, but then there's, there's, there's quite a freedom there with what are you gonna do with it? And so um, I, I think that there's, there's, a, there's, and there's stories of conflict where this property is supposed to own to one person, another person tries to steal it and God's really upset about that. And so there's definitely a sense in which there's, there's property rights, but there's also um, this idea of there's some kind of mercy, grace, forgiveness, whatever you want to call it, when people make mistakes that allows them to start over or to go back to the land, so to speak. Um, so there, it, it's pretty complex, but that, that, that'd be some of my initial ideas on it. All right. Follow on question involving Bitcoin now. Um, to what extent, I mean, <clears throat> so Bitcoin seems to give people a, a type of property, right? An unprecedented, uh, unprecedentedly strong property, right? Right. That that's easy to defend, that they don't have to delegate to other people and therefore don't have to participate in the manifestation of the erection of these highly corruptible institutions of power and force. And, and I think in, in the message you sent me too, that, you know, as a result of that, and I'm sure other attributes, you see Bitcoin as kind of God's money, as a, a manner in which uh, perhaps some of God's properties or principles are more able to enter the world. And I, you know, perhaps it's the time of discussion to get your take on that. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, I think just in general with, with Bitcoin, um, I have this, the way I look at life is, you see, every, everything in life is a mixture of truth and error. Um, uh, and so when you look at, you know, fiat money, as an example, it's mostly error. It's, it's teaching you wrong things. It's showing you wrong principles. They're, they're, um, it's, it's encouraging ungodly behavior, you know, to continue with the Christian imagery. Um, Bitcoin, in contrast, is, you know, the, the fixed monetary policy, the decentralization, all these different, these different um, attributes seem to comport more to the Christian idea of the mind of God. Um, and so, uh, you know, in the Bible, it talks about honest weights and measures, this idea that um, deceit, hiddenness, um, these, these things are very anti-God. Um, and so I think there's a lot of ways in which, because Bitcoin is uh, a more righteous tool than fiat money, therefore it's, um, uh, when people use it, you just, you naturally, you naturally kind of inherit some of this and you see it as a human, we, you know, so Christians would say every human is made in God's image and God has put eternity in all of our hearts. So there's a sense in which we deep down, we kind of know what is true. And we're just trying to get that up to the surface so we can act on it. And so when we, we interact with Bitcoin, because it's, it's more righteous, as it were, more true. It uh, it it brings all these things up, mm. in in our brings things to the surface, and that's what causes people to act differently, and it causes people to have hope, and what causes people to realize, you know, it's like, it's like, um, you know, you're a child, 
and you're in an abusive relationship, like with your parents, you're, and you don't ever realize it until one day you go to your friend's house and their parents treat you differently. And for the first time you realize, well, hold on a second. That's not how my parents treat me. And I like my kids' parents better. And so, and so it just, it's an awakening, I think. And so, um, uh, yeah, maybe that's some initial thoughts on that. I, and then I, I mean, and people, I, I would say people, from my point of view, people go too far. And so they start to ascribe more qualities to Bitcoin than it deserves. But certainly it's a tool that um, I would call it God's money, because I think if God were on earth creating a money, this is kind of what he would do. And mm -hmm. so it's now. The, so I would say there's a difference between the ideals that Bitcoin shows to people and what Bitcoin actually is. So you know, um, unbreakable money is an ideal, and Bitcoin is the most unbreakable. Or fixed supply is ideal, and Bitcoin is the most fixed supply. But mm -hmm. some of my concerns in there uh, just move along the lines of this idea that in 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 the Christian God, there's this idea some some kind of idea of debt forgiveness, well, maybe that's a loaded term, um, grace for mistakes and stuff like that. And I, I don't see that in Bitcoin, which, which gives me a little bit of pause, but look, beggars can't be choosers. The, uh, <laughs> the other options are terrible. So let's, right. let's just, you know, what they say, let's, let's fix, bit, fix the money with Bitcoin. And from there, I think we'll see clearer. Then you can, yeah. you know, your window's clear so you can see out into the world and fix the other problems. Yeah, I, I agree with that, you know, and because the question always arises, well, who manages the grace then? You know, and and then you have, you know, the authority reintroduced uh, and that can be corrupted. But, you know, it is interesting along what we've been saying, you know, we've 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 been talking about this. This notion or this belief. Which. Elicits certain behaviors and the degree to which those behaviors seem beneficial, then you you assign to that notion or belief a truthfulness. And it's interesting that the way you just articulated, because you're saying like, you know, we have the eternal love of God, let's say in, in each one of us. And it's simply a matter of bringing it to the surface and allowing it to be expressed, acting as though we, we knew and believed we were, we were constituted in that way. And here is this thing, you know, this digital phenomenon that for whatever reason, by whatever process seems to be aiding in or helping us to bring those things to the surface. It seems to be elic eliciting a certain type of behavior that's in line with th that fundamental core essence. And, you know, that is a very interesting thing to say the least. Well, and, is it and not? I, yes. And, and for, I mean, so Christians don't jump on me. I would also say there's also the devil inside each of us. And, sure, sure. and, um, and, just as Bitcoin works for positive, you could say fiat works for negative in the same ways, right? Which we've talked about. Um, uh, there's a, there's an old Alaskan proverb or something where um, the, the the Eskimo is is talking to a missionary who wants to confirm to Jesus, and the Eskimo says, "Oh, I know what you're talking about. There's these two wolves in my heart: a black a black wolf and a white wolf. And the white wolf does good, and the black wolf does evil. And they're fighting all day. They're fighting. They're fighting always." And the missionary says, oh, well, which one wins? And he says, oh, the strongest wolf. Oh, which one's the strongest? Oh, the one I feed the most. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's this idea that in each of us, we have either capacity. And right now, the awakening is only happening because all, we're living in a fiat world going to Bitcoin world. Um, I think if we ever, if we, once we get on a Bitcoin standard, the, uh, the kind of awakening in a negative sense will happen the other way, um, where 
once we're on a Bitcoin standard, the people who want to feed the black wolf will now find ways to deceive using Bitcoin, you know, using derivatives or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll put their, and so then we'll just have, we'll have another battle, right? The first battle is getting the Bitcoin standard. The second battle is, okay, what do we do with all these deceitful humans once they're on the Bitcoin standard? And, you know, it's like with the internet, right? The internet's a wonderful thing. And now, mm. you know, how much is spent trying to stop hackers from stealing everyone's information on the internet? So I think it's always going to be a battle, but yeah, with those, I, I right now, the, the focus and the, the wonderful part about Bitcoin is there's this kind of reemergence of, the, the good side and the all the forces that it's pulling up in people yeah yeah i mean i i, I agree that it seems true that nothing enters into the world without a curse except for perhaps the central notion of of different systems of faith you know and and, may, and that's part of their power um but i agree you know if a tool can be so useful for quote unquote good, presumably it has a tremendous power and consequence, you know, to be used in in the opposite way almost, you know, like how does something have so much power if it's not at least partially capable of of being used in an opposite way? And I, I think you're probably right. We'll, we'll, I don't think Bitcoin is a panacea. I don't think it is, you know, uh, gonna foster a utopia. I just think it's such a powerful force for good in that it, you know, I think you said it really well in that it brings to the surface the good, it's, it, it allows us to more easily bring to the surface the good that's with, within us, you know, and, and in a sense, you know, I almost, I think we, we touched on this when we just started this, but you don't want to, um, you don't want to assign, or you don't want to allow people off the hook, basically, by saying like, oh, I'm, I'm just bad or I'm I'm not acting in accord with what I think is right because circumstances are just the incentives are all messed up and they're incentivizing me to act in a different way. Like Hitler told me to do it. Uh, right, right. <laughs> you don't you, you don't want to let yourself or other people off the hook for that. You want to say, hey, like what's right is right, and you should you should follow that. But in practice, that doesn't seem to be the case universally or even in the majority. And so that something has come to write the incentives and kind of align them with some of the character or qualities that we find in that most fundamental good about ourselves and is now propagating them. I see that as a tremendous force for good because now it's, it's less of an uphill battle for those aspects of good to be brought to the surface. And that's great. And then we'll see what, what problems arise as a result of that as well. And hopefully we'll be in better positions as individuals to confront and deal with them, you know, and whatever that means for how we construct our families and our communities and our societies, I think, I think it'll mean that we do so differently because mm -hmm. we will want to address those things and, and mitigate them to the extent possible. Um, so yeah, you know, there, there will be, there will always be temptation, I guess, and there'll always be, um, you know, ruin and there will always be chaos just waiting around the corner, but uh, I think this is going to be a very powerful tool for, you know, maybe this is the best way to put it. That kind of eternal battle will always be playing out, but maybe now we're going to be able to play it out on a, on a higher level. You know, we won't, we won't be mired in the mud as much as we are. And maybe this will facilitate our own 
individual and collective refinement and actualization. And then we'll find out like more about what's good about ourselves and maybe even more about what's bad about ourselves. And we'll be, we'll contend with that circumstance when it comes. I don't know who. Yeah, who, no, who, hopefully. I mean, I, I think that's probably what they said when they uh, split the atom for the first time too. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting that one of the, one of the biggest hurdles I haven't talked with other Christians is that Christians are new to Bitcoin, but they're not new to the Bible. And so when you go to like the book of Revelation, Revelation 13 is a good place to read. Um, you read about this, this terrible situation that's coming on the world and it looks a lot like Bitcoin. Now, if, if, if you are aware of the crypto industry, you'd say, no, that looks like a CBDC or some kind of shit coin. And maybe Bitcoin's the only thing that's going to save us from this kind of one world government who takes over the money and forces you to exchange you know, have your, have your code in order to buy and sell and all these kind of prophecies that happen in the Bible. Right. Um, but then it's, so then you kind of overcome this hurdle when talking with Christians because they're, they're thinking, oh, I've heard of that. It's in the Bible and it's not a good thing. And so then you say, well, no, here, let's talk more about it. But it's, so I, I completely agree that there's, there's a potential either way, but right now it's definitely looking good. And so it, it's promising. Um, it's, yeah, it's awesome. I, uh, in fact, John, I could use a favor here. If you could just talk to your buddies and drop the price like another 10 grand, <laughs> then I can, I can load up and, uh, and then I'll be good to go. So yeah, well, I'll just make a few phone calls. It shouldn't All right, be a problem. Perfect. Talk to the manager. <laughs> well, um, I'm sure we could go on for hours, but um, I'm sure we both have stuff we need to get to. So was there anything at least on this you know, conversation that you wanted to get to before we shut it down. I suspect we'll do this again in the future, but uh, for yeah. now, yeah, no, I'm I'm good. There, there are a couple other interesting conversations to have, but uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, chatting with you. Well, we'll uh, save them for the next one. Let this one stew a bit, and uh, we'll do it again sometime and and hit on whatever we didn't get to today. Sounds good, John. Awesome, man. Look, I appreciate the time and. Um, and you engaging in this conversation conversation i think it's um well i really enjoy them and like i said before i think we're in a heading into an era where there's a more there's more openness to these types of dialogues you know and having them yeah. in a in a respectful and a and a manner in which everyone is seeking to simply understand and and move toward the truth you know as best they can and i appreciate you participating in that yeah, for sure. And if I said anything and people, if there's anyone listening that's interested in connecting it uh, on Twitter, it's random guy or something. I don't even know what my handle is, but uh, random, you, random crypto guy is your handle. Yeah. Random yeah. guy crypto or something like that. Yeah. So uh, if you or have maybe questions, that, or, yeah. or if I said something that uh, you think is anti-Christian, let me know. <laughs> All right, brother. Take care. Yeah. God bless you. We'll see you.